Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I'm pretty excited because I think you deputized me to go through these <laughs> Chicago Bulls coaching suggestions we got. And for anybody who didn't catch last uh, episode, I asked for people to send in their horror stories from middle school and high school, uh, the worst coaching experiences they had so that we could pass those along to Jim Boylan so he could coach the Chicago Bulls. Yep. I'm, pr- I'm proud to report, Andrew, I went through the dozens of emails and I've pulled together... 1700 words worth of stories that I would just like to read from start to finish. I don't think we need to do any other part of this episode, do we? Can't we just run these just front to back, do it for an hour and call it good? You know what? We could, man, honestly, because I've been writing all afternoon. I'm preparing to go on vacation for the next 10 or 11 days. And so I've had a bunch of things to uh, finish it up here. My brain is a little bit scrambled, and I appreciate you for once doing some work for the sake of the podcast. Because oh let me gosh. tell you something: <laughs> this afternoon, when I looked at the tidal wave of like middle school basketball memories that we had in our inbox, I was so upset at you, and I was just like, "Are you kidding me? He's going to have me sort through these and try to find like some coherent emails to read and." Uh, Thankfully, you volunteered, so I appreciate it. Good teamwork today. The open floor globe had me cracking up for the last 72 hours straight. (laughs) What I really wish, though, Andrew, I wish we had like a group health coverage plan for some PTSD, you know, uh, uh, you know, counseling sessions for our poor listeners because they really went through it all. But maybe we should save the bull stuff for the end and uh, dig into some other topics that people asked about, right? Yeah, let's dive in and we can bounce around the league for 40 minutes and then I'll I'll cede the floor to you. You, you can just yeah. read everyone's memories. I, I'm going to have a conversation with myself. It'll be an hour and a half podium. You could just check <laughs> out. You could just go through TSA to Oman or wherever else you're going for your fantastic vacation and I'll just hold it down here all by my lonesome in the United States. That should be the podcast for the next two weeks. I think you're ready to go solo. You know, you can be the, uh, I think Colin Coward goes solo for three hours. That can be your new lane it's scary that I actually was like, huh, maybe that's not a bad idea. But no, (laughs) I've got a secret uh, special guest who I'm not going to reveal who's going to be stepping into your shoes next week for a holiday edition. Because you know me, Andrew, I hate taking weeks off. You know, I know people like to celebrate holidays and so forth. Not here at Open Floor. We we are going to continue the content rolling uh, throughout the holiday breaks. So, you know, I, I won't spoil the surprise, but I'm sure people will be very excited about who I've got lined up. All right. Well, for now, Colby says the Nuggets are unreal right now. They are missing three starters, and that usually means struggles are about to hit hard, but not for Denver. They just keep winning. And with Jokic leading the charge and playing phenomenal basketball, I'm wondering, should we be putting Jokic in serious MVP conversations Ben, what say you? I feel like this is a uh, pivotal stage of any superstar's evolution in the NBA. Like, before you become a real MVP candidate, you have to go through this trial phase where you're sort of, quote-unquote, in the conversation, and you're, you're like a token inclusion in any serious discussion about MVP. Do you feel like that's where we are with Jokic, or, or is that selling him short? I don't know. Do we call this like the Memorial Isaiah Thomas uh, conversation <laughs> inclusion? I mean, is that what we call it? Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. 
Here's where I feel about Jokic. First of all, it's nice that uh, Nuggets coach Michael Malone is emailing in with the nickname Colby. You know, we, we, we discovered his burner account <laughs> because within seconds of that email coming uh, in, Michael Malone was trying to start the same conversation. I wrote a little bit about, uh, you know, Jokic this week, shameless plug at the Washington Post. He had a really nice game on Tuesday night against Dallas that I thought showed off what would be his sort of MVP conversation uh, case. Mm-hmm. He's pounding guys in the post with these, you know, great pump fake moves, duck ids, you know, sweeping uh, finishes left and right. He's stepping out to the three point line, canning three pointers. He's pump faking from the three point line, taking one or two dribbles, getting himself in for the nice, you know, mid range touch shots going left or going right. He is clearing the defensive glass, turning, pivoting, and just rocketing outlet passes to create offense in transition. He's working his tail off defensively, and it doesn't always look pretty. It doesn't always get the job done, but he he's working really hard this season uh, on that end as well. And there's no question about it. He is the lifeblood of that franchise. He's on pace to become the first seven-footer since Wilt Chamberlain in 1968 to average seven assists per game. That's ridiculous, and it's not surprising because of how much offense uh, of their offense revolves around what he's doing. Um, I think for the MVP conversation, though, let's not disrespect Giannis, okay? Giannis is playing out of his freaking mind this season. I think the conversation starts with him. I think LeBron's right there in the mix. But I do think Jokic belongs on that buffer uh, because, like Colby rightly mentioned, he's kept them afloat through a lot of tough injuries, injuries that would have sabotaged their seasons uh, in previous years, and frankly did. Like the Nuggets were not the same team last year without Millsap. This year, Millsap goes down, and they have this sort of unwavering belief because most nights, Jokic is the best player on the court. Well, yeah, and it's not just Millsap. I mean, they're missing Gary Harris. They've missed Will Barton for two and a half months now, and uh, Jokic has has kept it rolling. I don't think he deserves all of the credit. I think some of the other guys up there, like Torrey Craig, has come out of nowhere over the last year and a half to be pretty useful for them, and Juancho Hernan Gomez is also pretty useful, depending on the night. And Hey, Andrew, like, isn't that one of those signs, though, of an MVP-level it player? Is. When you've got these random guys who all look good because they're playing with them? Yeah, that's true. I just think that the Nuggets have done a nice job um, stocking that roster. Like, you know, Gary Harris goes down, and Malik Beasley is a guy who I've loved for two years, and he finally gets a shot, and he's been playing well for them when they need him. And um, No, it's a great point. They've not only stocked the roster well, they've also had some addition by subtraction moves of guys who are maybe – not totally bought into the team culture there over these last couple of years. And I think when you're getting in more of these guys who are hungry and trying to find NBA roles and trying to make name for themselves, that winds up helping. I have a theory on Jokic I want you to answer. Okay. Has he reached the point where his zealot fans from two years ago thought he was two years ago? Like, is he as good (laughs) as, like, the Jokic acolytes have been telling us since, like, 2015? I think the answer has to be yes, if only because I find myself significantly less annoyed by Jokic enthusiasm than I was, say, over the summer even, you know, when people would start to say... Jokic is a top 15 guy. You need to give him love. Look at the advanced numbers. It's all right there. It's staring you in the face. Now I'm like, you know what? It is. And everybody needs to watch more Nuggets because this dude has been incredible. And particularly over the last two weeks, his his scoring has hit another level 
to keep the Nuggets afloat here. But I mean, really, everybody in Denver has been super impressive. Like Monty Morris is a guy who, you know, I think before the season, more than 80% of NBA fans would have had no idea who he is. But he's been awesome, uh, sort of steadying the ship as, as Denver deals with all this attrition. I'm curious, do you think that Isaiah Thomas is going to fit into this picture at all? If I was Isaiah Thomas, I'd be worried how much they needed me. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like Jamal's playing pretty well. He hasn't quite, you know, De'Aaron Fox is having the season I thought Jamal Murray was going to have. But Jamal Murray has definitely taken a step forward, too. He just hasn't made that, like, humongous leap that Fox has made. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Monte Morris is just one of those out of left field, you know, just incredible rotation guys. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they don't really need Isaiah Thomas right now. I think that's sort of the question. So it's one of those things where like, hey, Isaiah, you know, take your time with the rehab. It's not like Cleveland where they're like, <laughs> look, we know you're in a full body cast, but we need you out here because LeBron can't do this all by himself. You know, it's a very different vibe, I think, uh, for their season. Little-known Monty Morris fact, he dates Amber Rose. Do you know who that is? Yes, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, just checking. You know, your your pop cult, your pop culture knowledge is, is hit or miss sometimes, um, but that's well, the that's only another reason one. I know we who could, he is. We could call her Rose Amber. You know, we could do the whole Scott Travis thing <laughs> with her. <laughs> no, I, I think that's unique to uh, our guy, Travis Scott. Um let me ask you though, uh, yeah, to to finish the point, I'm worried as a, as an Isaiah Thomas believer who wants nothing but the best for him. I'm worried about his fit in Denver, um, given how successful everyone else has been. But we'll see what happens. Um, he could always end up on another contender down the stretch. The yeah, I mean, I think the good part is he's on a minimum, right? So it's not like one of these situations where he's still trying to think in it, like in his mind, Hey, I deserve ABC. Like when he was going to the Lakers and he was like the assistant coach and everybody was like, what are you doing? Right. I think there's a different vibe when you're brought in, you've been rehabbing, the team is rolling. I do think he's going to have to have a different mentality than, Hey, I need to have the ball. I'm the guy. I was, you know, an MVP candidate a couple of years ago, like show me my respect. I would hope he would have a different frame, you know, frame of mind uh, when he gets back out there. Yeah. Um, Looking a little bit broader right now, do you have any other nominations for token MVP considerations? So let's say in the conversation to be in the conversation. Do you have any other thoughts? I mean, are you just trying to get me to say the words Paul George? Feels like that's what has been bubbling a little bit here over the last week on the blogosphere. I think I mean, Paul I, George is at the is at the head of the pack for the the token MVP nods. Um, and yeah, I, I wrote about him earlier this week. I think that he has been playing the best basketball of his career, and um, OKC looks healthier than they have since Kevin Durant left. I don't know how real it is, but he definitely deserves a lot of love for the last two and a half months. No, I think it's real. Like, I don't think that they're going to be subject to some, like, crazy fall-off. But when I just look at their overall offensive efficiency, I guess that's kind of where I struggle because a big part of what his MVP case would be is, oh, he's having the best scoring year of his career. He's putting up these 40-plus point nights. Like, he's just out of this world as a scorer. But everybody's getting points this year in the NBA. There's a lot of incredible offensive players. I mean, James Harden is leaps and bounds better as an offensive player than Paul George. Mm-hmm. I would go right down the list. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, all these guys are better scorers than Paul George. And uh, I think if he is getting the attention for the right reasons, which would be, you know, elite two-way player, 
then that's fine. But if we're just saying, hey, he's averaging a few more points than he has in previous years, now all of a sudden he's an MVP candidate, that's where uh, I get a little bit concerned. Just because their offense, I believe, is still below average as a team. Yeah, uh, I'm still concerned that they're going to run into some, uh, you know, pretty hard walls once they get to the postseason. I mean, that's kind of lingering in the back of my head. Uh, but Oklahoma City overall has been a great, st- uh, a great story to start mm-hmm. the season, and Paul George deserves a lot of that credit. Yeah, and I think I'm coming at it as a uh, former Paul George hater. I think you and I were both pretty skeptical when OKC sunk 250 million dollars into Russell Westbrook and Paul George back in July, and. Um, to George's credit, he has been every bit the player they they have needed him to be, you know? And yeah. it, I think what's what's different, it's not just that he's averaging four points per game more than he was a year ago or whatever the number is. I think he has been more reliable night to night than at any point in the last couple seasons. And I think that that brings OKC's offense to a more balanced place and, and gives... Russell Westbrook less room to go rogue and he's still sort of like finding his game as he comes back from his annual fall injuries Uh, but I think that like in general OKC is just in a much healthier place when Paul George is going to score 25 to 30 a night and be a counterpoint to Westbrook and then defensively like he and Steven Adams have been incredible but in, in our defense, though, Andrew, I mean, how much more incredible would it have been if Paul George was doing this for the Lakers? And now all of a sudden we could talk <laughs> about the Lakers as a team that could knock off the Warriors, you know, as an upset in the Western Conference Finals. And we'd be talking about Anthony Davis. It's a no-brainer. He has to go to L.A. because Paul George and LeBron are already locked in on a top-two team in the conference. I mean... I understand we were hard on Oklahoma City's decision making. I mean, I don't know if, how hard we. I think we we saluted them for getting it done. Well, I think we yeah. were more <laughs> questioning like why did he want to go there? And I think he he's definitely playing like he's happy and content with his decision. Uh, and so I'm happy for him on that regard. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of wish he was playing on a team that I really viewed as a contender. And to me, I just still don't see Oklahoma City in that conversation. And I think there was a team waiting to be that that team, and it's the Lakers. I have had the exact same thought. I'm not proud of it. I feel kind of guilty about it. But some of these nights with Paul George, I'm like, man, I wonder what the league would look like if he were doing this next to LeBron James. And uh, See, this must be so difficult for you because you're just trying to seal superstars and put them on the Celtics at the Lakers. You're just this big market guy. <laughs> I know. That's why I feel like an asshole, a coastal elite here being like, man, this is nice. But God, it would have been 10 times cooler out there in L.A., um, and so, uh, you know, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't have that tone. We really shouldn't. Oklahoma City, full credit. Congratulations. Great start. Exceeding my expectations. Now prove to us you could do it in the postseason. Well, I think that's a completely fair question to have about these guys. That's my question with George, too. And and if you recall, when we were having these conversations in July, I believe the term fake superstar was thrown around. And thrown around not unfairly because he had played like crap in the first round series against Utah. And then he was coming off uh, surgery in May. And we just, Paul George as the lead guy has not fared particularly well. And um, I think so far this season in Oklahoma City, he has been effectively the lead guy for them. And, And OKC has done a great job. What I worry about, and it's funny to bring this back to Jokic, I think what's frustrating me about this year's league, and particularly the West, is that 
it's very difficult for me to take the Nuggets seriously as contenders because of Jokic's defense it, at, in playoff games. I, I think that they're just going to struggle to a degree that we won't really see until the, uh, until the playoffs start. And then the same is true with the Thunder. I mean, I wrote that really nice Paul George thing earlier this week. Um, it was like a quick 600, 700 words, but like someone followed up with me afterward and we had a conversation about the Thunder and he was like, you know, you don't really think that Paul George is going to decide the ceiling with OKC, which is what I had written because I think that if Paul George is playing like this, it does sort of raise their ceiling. And, uh, and my friend made the point that no matter what happens, Russell Westbrook is going to self-combust in the playoffs. And we know that because we've seen it over and over again for the last seven years. And he's going to take over fourth quarters and it's going to leave the Thunder in bad shape. And um, I hate to say it, I can't totally argue with that. And, it's, and I struggle taking either of these teams very seriously. Yeah, your friend is right. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, that, and like again, we don't want to come off being completely dismissive because I think the whole point of this conversation was like, hey, congratulations, gold star for Paul George during this MVP talk. Uh, but yeah, like lurking in the background are very justified concerns about what their end game looks like based not only on years of Westbrook data, but also what happened with Paul George in last year's playoffs. That's why he's not a real MVP candidate to me. Like he's not a top three guy. Uh, first of all, because his numbers aren't quite there because they're not winning at quite that level. Um, but also just because of, you know, very legitimate concerns about uh, how it's going to play out. Yeah. Um, we're just curious. And it's funny. We we had thought about doing holiday awards today and neither one of us really had the energy to do it. Um, but I'm wondering... If you had to give your top five for MVP right now, what would it be? Andrew, I don't have a top five. I've got a top four, and okay. then we can have a bunch of other honorable mentions. But to me, it's Giannis one, LeBron two, Embiid three, Durant four, and then you've got this quagmire of the Kawhis and the Jokic's and the Paul George's and whoever else you want to kind of harden. You could probably even throw into this mix, even though their schedule has been really wonky. Um, that would be my list. Wow, so you've got Durant above someone like Jokic right now. Yeah. KD's amazing, man. You just don't ever give this guy credit. Golden State's record's right where they need to be. He He's kept them winning, even with Curry out. I mean, obviously, Curry would be in my top three if he had been healthy the whole way, but you know me. Availability is the greatest ability. And uh, also, I should have said Anthony Davis would have been in that second group as well. Yeah, yeah. Um... You know what? That's fair. I'm not going to argue with you because I Kevin Durant has my eternal respect, or at least for the next six or seven months. I, I was writing but, about him this afternoon. But, um, but, but. There's no but. but. I was going to say, after that night against the Raptors, it, it, it renewed my uh, undying loyalty to Kevin Durant. So whatever. Wherever you want to rank him is cool with me. Um, yeah, how how dare I have a guy who's, you know, 29, 8, 6, shooting 50% from the field, uh, 93% from the free throw line. How dare I have 
uh, a guy like that in the MVP conversation for the league's best team. Well, I mean, not best record, but best team. I things, mean, come on. Things got a little wonky there for a couple weeks where it was just KD and oh, Steph was on the on. sidelines. I mean, let's call let's call it like it is. I love. I loved. I love but... to say that you dismiss your whole year because you had one little miscommunication with a guy who didn't pass you the ball. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm just saying the the team results were a little bit uneven until Steph came back. But moving on and speaking of yeah, results and we, that have we been blame, uneven. We blame Steph for that, not KD for that. Again, that's how health works. If you're on the court playing, I don't know what that's kind of more valuable. you're dealing with where that somehow hurts Steph's value, but sure. Okay, let me ask you this. If Steph missed all of next season, Right. If he was injured for all 82 games and Golden State went 20 and 62, would you vote Steph Curry for MVP? Because look how much worse they are compared to when he's healthy. Um, no, because of the way the MVP award works. But I, I'm not. Blaming OK, so there Steph you go. Anything. So then we got to give Kevin the credit for playing health, you know, being out there, being healthy and playing great when Steph is injured. I mean, come on. It's not that difficult. Your Warriors takes in general are so reckless <laughs> that I don't even know where to start sometimes. I mean, the, the whole Anthony Davis to Golden State thing, I didn't give you enough shit for it on, on the podcast earlier this week, but... Um, you're kind of just in your own zone with Golden State, and I respect it. You know, you're you're willing to zig where everyone else zags. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying if I was Anthony Davis, I would want to play for the Warriors. That's not a crazy take. It's only a crazy take to people who are jealous of the Warriors. <laughs> like if you had the if you had the opportunity to go to any organization, 30 media outlets, right? And then you're saying, oh, it's crazy that uh, you would want to go to the very best of the media outlets. Come on, Andrew. It's not that crazy. No, you know what it is? First of all, this all reminds me of when you named yourself a win connoisseur on the podcast. Uh, one of the more ridiculous things you've done in 2018. But uh, the thing that I would push back against is the idea that Anthony Davis would see Kevin Durant's experience over the last couple of years and want that for himself. And I, I think that's where we disagree because I, I, my takeaway as a superstar in the middle of my prime would not be that is the blueprint for success and fulfillment. And, and I think that's, that's where you and I are just on a different page. Yeah, I mean, things have gone so horribly for Kevin. Two finals MVPs, <laughs> well, two rings. Again, uh, it's gotten a little complicated at various points. But listen, we got to talk Celtics here. We have not yeah, talked it's about It's gotten complicated because of, of your narrative definitions, not because of what's happening on the court. He's oh. played beautiful basketball. He's contributed, uh, you know, to, you know, he's got, he's much more famous at this point than he was a couple of years ago. And look, I know you, you love the nitpick and make him feel silly because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. Uh, but guess what? He has free agency, and so does Anthony Davis here coming up very shortly. And to, to say that he should self-sabotage and just go play for the Celtics because you want him to go play for the Celtics <laughs> is ridiculous. I don't want anybody to play for the Celtics. It would make me really, really happy to see the Celtics completely strike out in all of this. Um, but... We're going to save our knockdown, drag out Kevin Durant argument. We can only do 
one of those per year and it's too early in the year to have that argument so yeah i know but you don't want them to play for the celtics but you're going to come on here twice a week and whine about the declining value of the king's pick i mean come on (laughs) it's it's just an observation it's one of the bigger stories in the league one of the crazier developments from this season scott says i am a celtics fan from boston parentheses sorry i do appreciate your apology scott um most celtics fans are are not as self-aware as you are And he says, I do not want generic praise for this team. I am writing because I want open floor to stay ahead of the league like it has since Chris Middleton versus DeMar, since the cute story Celtics last year, and all of your John Wall analysis this offseason. My point today is, this year's Celtics are coming. Okay, so you say they've won eight straight playing against garbage teams. Well, that's fine. But watch the games, and this team is putting it together. And, um, Scott, I did watch an entire Celtics-Suns game last night, and the Celtics lost to the Phoenix Suns. The red-hot Phoenix Suns, by the way, I believe that's five straight, in, uh, maybe maybe four straight wins. But either way, they're doing well. And the Celtics have now lost uh, either two or three straight games since this email. But I'm curious for your read on all of it in Boston, because we haven't talked about them in three or four weeks. What do you think of this team? I think he's on to something. I mean, it was funny timing, given the loss to the Suns. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's why I read it. I think he's on to something, too. So the offense has been better because they put a player who's a more natural playmaker into the starting lineup. Now, you told me I was crazy for coming after Kyrie Irving and his lack of pure point guard ability, but what do you know? The offense turns around when Marcus Smart, a guy who's able to kind of distribute and look for others first, gets put into that starting lineup. So are you willing to say I was right on Kyrie? Um, perhaps. I do think Marcus Smart's wait, 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 wait. Was that a perhaps? Was that a yes or a no? You know what that was, Ben? It was, it was, a, I'm not having this argument again. again. And I do respect your willingness to die on the Kyrie is overrated hill and Kyrie is not a true point guard. And that's the real problem in Boston. Um, I do think you're right to highlight Marcus Smart's value as a playmaker because I think he does some nifty things for them on offense. Everybody talks about his defense, but um, he kind of creates chaos that opens things up on offense as well. Yeah, I got some emails from people about Boston's offense, and they were all upset. Like, look how much better they are when they have Kyrie on the court versus when Kyrie's off the court. And that's dangerous territory. Like, that's getting into, like, the worst of Westbrook territory where uh, because (laughs) you've got – it's because you've got this one incredible score, everybody looks to him to solve every problem, and he looks to himself to solve the problem. When you've got a roster as talented and deep as Boston's, and look, if I'm complimenting the Celtics, you know that I mean it, Andrew, because you know I, I usually try to go out of my way not to do that. Mm-hmm. This is a good team. This is a team that should absolutely be you know, charging up the standings and beating bad teams just like the emailer suggested, right? The best way for that team to function is with balanced offense all the time, right? And that's just not Kyrie's strength. And... You don't want to have this big gap between when Kyrie is on the court and when Kyrie is off the court if you have so many talented players. That's just not how it should be. Um, and I do think the more that that gap squeezes, right, and the more that you know Boston is, uh, you know, getting offense from multiple places when Kyrie is on the court, the better their efficiency numbers are going to be, and the, and that in turn will make me more likely to believe in them as real contenders. If this is just the Kyrie show, I don't think it's going anywhere. But if it's this more balanced, uh, egalitarian approach, all of a sudden, okay, Boston, let's see what you've got. 
Yeah, that's actually pretty interesting. Um, because I come at it from the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, I think you that- just want a Uncle Drew commercial. That's all you want. <laughs> no, that's not, that's total bullshit. Well, my worry with the Celtics is um, entirely rooted in Al Horford, you know? And I, I think that all the pieces are in place to go on a run. And if you go back a couple podcasts, I believe I declared that I've never been more certain that the Celtics are going to win the East. And um, I thought a little bit harder about that over the last few days. And I think that if Horford is healthy, I agree with my statement from 10 days ago. But um, there's also reason to worry about Horford's health. And he just he hasn't looked like the same guy. He hasn't been out there recently. And I th- that's a real X factor. And he's the guy who makes everything make sense on offense. And he's, he's the one who's typically playing the role that you're describing for Kyrie. And um, so I guess my answer to Scott would be that I'm almost all the way with you. I just need to see Horford kind of look healthy and look like the a, a version of the player he's been for the past three seasons before I start really waving the Celtics flag here. For sure. So um, let me ask you, I made the statement not too long ago that the dream series I wanted to see in the Eastern Conference Finals was Milwaukee versus Toronto. Um, You know, as this, you know, green beer loving uh, townie or or whatever they call them. I mean, are you ready to say I'm wrong for that? (laughs) And Boston needs to be in the dream East Finals? Um, And if so, who do you want them to face? I mean, would you just prefer... Celtics Sixers take take the Christmas Day game throw that in the Eastern Conference Finals or call it good or do you want a Raptors showdown what do you want no my dream right now is to get Celtics Sixers in the second round and have Boston advance and then get Bucks Raptors in the second round and have Toronto advance and then we get Raptors Celtics to settle settle the takes once and for all because there are a lot of Raptors fans who are indignant that anyone would even consider picking someone outside of Toronto to advance to the finals. Uh, but I, I think that that's, that would be the most entertaining timeline. Um, and I, I'm not sold on Milwaukee whatsoever as a, as a playoff team and a finals contender. I think that they are a really good regular season team and things will get a little bit more complicated once you get to the postseason and start scheming against them for seven games. Fair enough. Uh, we should maybe start to have Kyrie in the MVP second tier conversation. There we go. All right. Yeah, I was going to add him to the in the conversation to be in the conversation group. Um, he's He has been very, very good and is one of the only things about this Celtics team that has been a constant since mid-October. Every, everybody else is like in and out of the lineup, but uh, we are getting the best version of Kyrie, whether you like him or not. Yeah, I think we should also give some credit to Boston for getting the Marcus Smart thing done too, right? I mean, wasn't that kind of a question mark on how that was going to go? And if I had told you at the start of the season, Rozier wasn't going to be the same guy, you know, and or they they what they got from him in the playoffs was going to be sort of the best moment of his life or whatever, and however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Uh, I think there would have been real cause for concern given just their roster structure. Uh, Smart stepped up. Yeah. Um, Well, from the Celtics, back to the Lakers for one minute here. John says, after your Lakers-Anthony Davis conversation earlier this week, I have two questions. Number one, 
What would the Lakers have to give up to get Anthony Davis this season? Would it be Ingram, Kuzma, and Lonzo? And then, would they have enough after the trade for LeBron and Anthony Davis to really challenge the Warriors for the title? Um, I, I would say one of the reasons I'm including this is because one of the points that I forgot to make in our impromptu 30-minute Anthony Davis discussion is that thinking about all of this over the last couple weeks and months, I don't see any incentive for the Pelicans to do a deal um, in the middle of the season. And I should have added that as I was asking you whether like Anthony Davis or the Lakers could try to make this happen before February, because I really can't see any scenario where that makes sense for New Orleans. Um, but I'm curious what you think of the other half of that hypothetical. Well, let, let's talk about the whether they should do the deal in season or not. You know, Anthony Davis came out and very politically correctly said, oh, it's nice LeBron said that, but, you know, I still love New Orleans. I speak their slang. I think he said all these things to uh, Zach Lowe at ESPN. Yeah. You know, basically trying to tamp the whole thing down and saying, like, I'm not really going anywhere. If you were rich, Paul, Andrew, would that be your strategy right now? Would you start to tap dance a little bit harder? Would you... Uh, you know, be encouraging your client to express his lack of patience. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, because you know that that was a calculated response, right? I'm yeah. sure they scripted every single word that he said in response to what LeBron, uh, you know, LeBron's like, you know, shameless campaigning for the trade, right? Um, would that have been your message? Or would you maybe have tried to use this as an opportunity to just kind of push it forward a step and and get it closer to a point where maybe you're holding the front office to the fire a little bit come uh, trade deadline time. I don't know. And, and, you know, I actually, I wonder about how scripted it actually was because to me, and, and we know very little about Anthony Davis, and that's part of what excites me about where things are headed. It's like, whatever happens, we're about to find out a whole lot more about one of the three or four best players on the planet. And after seven and a half years in a, in New Orleans, like I couldn't tell you the first thing about AD. I, and I, I was trying to think about it. Like I can only even remember three or four interviews he's given over the course of his entire career. So it'll be interesting to, to find out more. Um, but reading yeah, the tea can, leaves... Can I give you an example on that? I, over the summer, I was sent a... Uh, a sunscreen shade for your car you know what i mean like yeah. the kind of thing that you put on your windshield and i forget which company did it but it was basically in the shape of his unibrow and that was like the anthony <laughs> davis sunscreen shade and i was like huh this is like pretty cool and interesting and then i started to think to myself like shouldn't anthony davis be like pitching range rover suvs on national commercials not sunscreen shades yeah you know what I mean? well that would be my takeaway as well it's like We've really squeezed all we can out of the unibrow thing, but like beyond that, we really don't know much about Anthony Davis, and I think it might be time to take the next step in his evolution as a public persona. Um, but so here's here's what I would say though is, you know, from everything we've heard, I just don't think Anthony Davis is is wired the same way someone like Jimmy Butler is. And, and I don't think he has it in him to be kind of the malcontent who is going to say, get me out of here. And I think he does genuinely like New Orleans. He's enjoyed his time there and is not looking to like torch every bridge he's built over the last seven or eight years. 
on the way out. And I think that might be the only way he would be traded before February. Yeah. I mean, I think his answers, the reason why I was kind of saying that in a leading manner was trying to encourage you to say, no, he should have just like started laying the seeds that he wanted out immediately. Cause I think that's what's in his best interest, but he sounds like he's locked in for the rest of the year. So if that's the case, he's not going to be traded and all the trade stuff that we discussed doesn't matter. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree there. And um, I would also add, and I, I may write about this for Friday. I'm not sure yet, but um, I think the Lakers in general are a much longer shot than we as a basketball media have uh collectively acknowledge this week you know what i mean i think that like there are a number of hurdles number one being i don't think most teams around the league are going to want to deal with the lakers if they have kind of an unhappy superstar who wants out and who puts the lakers on their list which so far even even that step has been skipped in a lot of cases because a lot of guys don't want to play with lebron but um, even if someone like Lillard or someone like Anthony Davis wants out and wants to go to L.A., like the Blazers are not, I mean, they're more likely to fold the team than to trade Damian Lillard to the Lakers. And um, I'm, I'm glad you finally come around to that because I've been trying to tell you that for months and now you're doing the 180 on that one. So I appreciate that. No, no, Keep all, going. all I will say is that like LeBron wants Lillard. So it's, it's a relevant point of discussion. But the more I've thought about it, and you're right, you, you have made the point from the outset, there's, there's no way they're trading Lillard to the Lakers. And, and I think the same could be true in New Orleans as well, simply f- because of like the symbolism of, of a small market team suddenly completing the puzzle for the Lakers. I, and I, I just think that there's a lot of league-wide resentment of Magic and Palinka and what went on recruiting LeBron out there that is going to be a factor in how some of this stuff resolves itself. Uh it's an interesting theory. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far. I do think the big hiccup for teams not wanting to trade with the Lakers is that your nephew, Brandon Ingram, isn't as good as you told well, us yeah, he'd be. Well, that, yeah, that's part of it, too. And, and to be very clear, I still want the Wizards to trade for Brandon Ingram. So I'm still on the bandwagon. But I, I wouldn't blame any front office for being like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, you, you really think that Ingram and Lonzo is going to be the best offer we can get? Yeah, and I do think like if Ingram and Lonzo were both having A plus seasons, now you're now you're getting somewhere, yes. right? Now you're like, oh, okay, like this does make sense as a trade package. Okay, you can start to line up some of these other deals, but that just hasn't really been the case. I'm not sure why we're wasting so much time on this Lakers talk when the real news, Andrew, is Giannis head of Giannis Inc. openly recruiting Anthony Davis to the Milwaukee Bucks in person via Steve Ashburner on NBA.com and on the Instagram comments via, you know, my eyeballs, which I saw. Uh-huh. I, this is great. I mean, is it going to work? I mean, what, what do you think? Can Giannis <laughs> lure Anthony Davis to Milwaukee? I missed that entirely. What, what happened? Oh, he just basically said, come to Milwaukee, like join the Bucks, And they were, they were playing the other night head-to-head in Milwaukee. Uh, the Bucks won that game. And I guess Giannis was sort of jokingly telling AD, you know, you should come play here. And then on the comments, he, he made a similar, uh, you know, statement on Instagram. Mm. 
add it all up, Andrew. I think it's a done deal. No, you know what? I think that's, um, and we've seen a lot of this over the past few years. Joel Embiid is king of the like token social media recruitment to watch the retweets pile up. And I'm sure that's what that was from Giannis. Um, there's another well, conversation so- to have about Giannis and, and well, his future. You know, if the Bucks had, the, you know, were in the Lakers position, we'd be having their fans say, "What about Brogdon and Thon for Anthony Davis?" <laughs> exactly, and I, that's the only reason I even asked this Lakers question on the on the podcast today. Is I think we weren't clear enough about how far fetched some of that talk actually is, um, and then we also on the heels of our uh, Anthony Davis filibuster on Tuesday. We got a number of emails from Raptors fans being like, why wouldn't Masai swing for the fences and put Fred Van Vliet and DeLon Wright and Siakam and maybe even OG Ananobi in a deal for Anthony Davis? And it's like, dude, like Ingram is is a low bar, but I don't think you're selling anyone in the world on Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi as like a credible trade package for Anthony Davis. Yeah, that, I mean, first of all, that would be amazing content for us if the Raptors got Anthony Davis. But I'd also be really worried about how the Raptors uh, would respond to that. Because remember when they did, like, the lint rollers for Drake? Like, they made that into an official promotion because he got caught, like, lint rolling his pants. I mean, they're just looking for, like, every possible way to kind of get in on that. I can just picture the Raptors making, like earmuffs for the unibrow so it'll like cover your eyebrows and your ears simultaneously like they would just take it so far over the top it would be insufferable um and again i I think it's healthy for everyone to move past the unibrow era like if i were anthony davis's manager if i were rich paul i would say all right buddy it's time to shave shave the unibrow all right next phase of your career is here um But moving on to another team in L.A., Uh, Joe says, Andrew, your Pacers takes are the flaming hot Cheetos of takes. And then he continues to bash my takes uh, on the Pacers for a couple paragraphs and then starts complimenting the Clippers and asks at the end, which solid and functional, very much not boring NBA team do you believe in the most, the Clippers or the Pacers? What do you think, Ben? I mean, obviously the Pacers because they're playing in AAA. You know, I think the Clippers might be—they might win the East if they're in the in the East. I mean, I don't know. There's probably like ten or eleven teams in the Western Conference that could win the East if they got to play the cake schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, so by default, I'll say Indiana. I don't believe in either one of them, but whatever. Okay, I appreciate your honesty there because I don't really believe in either one of them either. Have you ever had uh, flaming hot Cheetos before? I have. Come on. We don't need to do this. Come on. Let's get to a real question. <laughs> well, I've never had them before. I don't, I don't really understand what that means. Um, the clip- well, Basically, this is the snack. Not only will you be you know, grasping for water as quickly as possible, but you will have orange dust all over your fingertips when you do. Interesting. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? Well, and I, I tend to avoid stuff like that. Like I've never had the Dorito Locos tacos um, in part because I, I assume that I would like them. And then you become someone that like eats shit like that. <laughs> and so I worry, I don't want to cross that line uh, with hot Cheetos or Doritos Locos. Uh, my take here though, to answer this question 
I, I like watching the Clippers a lot because at the end of games in L.A., they go to a lineup with Gallinari at the five and just run everything through him. And he, he is, first of all, surprisingly effective. And second of all, it's really entertaining watching him just kind of flop around and do everything and like hit shots and, and score inside. And um, they are so much more entertaining than they have any right to be. So I prefer the clips. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, on top of that, they've got a great inside-outside combo, one healthy with Lou Will and Montrez Harrell. I mean, that those guys are both, like, off-the-charts entertaining. Uh, in terms of, you know, watchability, Demonis Sabonis is pretty watchable. Oladipo is, is still very watchable. He hasn't kind of fallen off maybe as much as I expected from last year, even though he's been hurt, and, and that's kind of been a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think Kevin Pritchard, you know, Pacers GM, had a pretty nice summer. I mean, like, things came together really well for him, uh, keeping the momentum going. I, I like their locker room vibe, you know, just in terms of how they play, but I don't know. Like, I think the Pacers fans <laughs> just need to realize, like, when we're talking about the biggest stars in the Eastern Conference, you've got four really strong all-around teams that have major superstars on them in Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, Boston. I think your pleas for attention are going to continue to fall on deaf ears. If there weren't four teams out there that we could really talk and, and dissect and picture making the finals, then okay. But you know, I think Indiana, they're just sort of relegated to that uh, second-tier conversation. Yeah, well, and if nothing else, I think it underscores how far the East has come, that we don't have to spend four or five months overselling this Pacers team because they're good and they deserve a lot of credit, but like we don't have to go crazy. I mean, I go the other way with it because you put LeBron with 12 scrubs and he wins the Eastern Conference still. So I I don't know. I'm not sure if we're giving the whole conference credit for for the fact that the best player they had has gone away and opened up the uh, framework for everybody else. Yeah, this is another one where (laughs) I often choose not to really engage your Western Conference elitism. I just let you have your corner and um, I, re- I do respect your consistency. But moving well, forward. Look, was it, what is it, 16-4 and four in the last 20 finals, something like that? I mean, come on. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> again, this is one where, like, one day we're going to have a knockdown, drag-out battle. But the reason I don't engage is because I think I have an inferiority complex as a, as a son of the Eastern Conference for the last 30 years. And... Um, and deep down, I know that you're mostly right, and so I don't want to really go down that road and put up a, a losing, a losing fight. Um, but in the, it, this Good. this season, it's basically even. No, not at all. I mean, there's still a lot more. If you go just the top players in the league, I would still say the Western Conference far exceeds the Eastern Conference, but and then look, the depth of playoff teams is crazy. Head-to-head the depth favors of the West. decent playoff teams who would still lose most matchups against the top of the East. I mean, look, like, the Bucks go through the West and win most of their games. The Raptors do the same. The Celtics have not been what they're going to be in May, so it's hard to kind of grade them. And the Sixers are also quietly a mess, too. But well, look, um, Andrew, all those teams get to stack their win-loss record with wins over the Bulls, Hawks, Cavs, Knicks, Wizards, Heat, <laughs> but Nets. Like you're supposed to get me excited about any if, of these teams, so right? Are you arguing that they are able to kind of get in a better rhythm as a as a team 
and that leaves them better positioned to go win some of these games against the West because like Toronto and Milwaukee are still beating all of these teams in the West. I'm just saying you have a benefit night to night when you have all of these, you know, half off nights, like you're not fully off, right? You have to show up to the arena, but you don't have to go all out. When you're in the Western Conference, you have no off nights. You're playing every single night hard. And it's just, it accumulates benefits over the course of a season. If you took teams like Houston and you gave them an Eastern Conference schedule, wouldn't you agree Houston's record would be a lot better if they had all these just empty games night after night after night where they could just stack up victories? There's no question about it. Yeah, and see, that's the point where I do kind of secretly agree with you, and then I feel like an Eastern Conference turncoat, so um, I don't want to be that guy, and this is why I choose not to engage <laughs> with you on this topic, but uh, it is getting closer, and there is there's more dignity in the Eastern Conference than there has been in quite some time, so... Well, there's more parity at the top, and that makes it more fun. I will say the East has been much more fun this year to handicap because we don't know who's going to come out, uh, and you can make strong arguments for any of the top four teams, and if I was a Pacers fan... And I spent like all weekend on it. I could probably make a strong argument for the Pacers too. And that's more fun than just saying LeBron's going to kill everybody because that's what we said for the last eight years. Yeah. Okay. One more question actually in the East. Alexander says, James Dolan recently said he'd consider selling the Knicks and Jeff Bezos should buy them. I personally think he should lowball Dolan, but he should definitely outbid any competitors. I mean, for goodness sake, he donated $2 billion to preschools in America. Change my mind. And I, my attempt to change your mind, Alexander, would be that Jeff Bezos is currently consolidating power in my hometown of Washington, D.C., and what he should actually do is give like $5 billion to Ted Leonsis and by the Washington Wizards. But he should definitely, look, the guy has unlimited cash flow. Go buy a basketball team. Why not? I probably need to stay out of this one for a conflict of interest purposes. <laughs> uh, but if we could just focus on the James Dolan, James Dolan side of it, uh, he did a big interview this week, and I think he tried to state his case on some controversial topics. And didn't seem like he went over any hearts and minds and I don't know you know where where does that leave him you know like he's trying to rehash some of these incidents whether it's the Oakley thing or the lawsuits in the past and you just read all of that and you're like okay well I guess it's kind of nice to know where you stand on these things but it would be even nicer if you just didn't own this team and somebody who really understood how the league should work, how teams should work, did, Mm -hmm. so that the Knicks could be a player in all these conversations for these free agents rather than just a a team that we, you know, throw in as a footnote when we're trying to come up with as many possible scenarios for Anthony Davis as possible, right? Like, the Knicks should be the team that's like, hey, we're in on KD, we're in on Anthony Davis, we're going to steal Kawhi Leonard for the Raptors. I mean, that's what that franchise should be if it was well-run with an ownership group that was respected, and they're just not. Yeah, it's it's funny. That team has been so dysfunctional for so long that even hearing you describe that scenario, like, well, let's go get KD, let's get Kawhi, and let's trade for Anthony Davis. Like, I physically recoiled on this end of the line thinking about how they would screw up all of those guys' careers. And um, it is it does all trace back to old Jimmy D. Uh and what's sad about his interview, I think he did it with Ian O'Connor from ESPN, who does a really good job covering that team. 
But um, I saw the tweet whenever that whatever day it came out. I saw the tweet that morning, and was just like, you know, I don't really give a shit what this guy has to say. I'm sure it's like a three thousand word interview, but I can't bring myself to care about any of it. So I have no idea what he addressed. If he said he should sell the Knicks, or he said he's he's considering selling the Knicks. Please do, James Dolan. Everybody would be better off, including you. I bet he would be happier if he didn't have to listen to people in the media constantly talk about what a disaster his tenure has been. Yeah, he did kind of play the victim card about saying how people come up to him a lot and, you know, not heckle him, but kind of heckle him or tell him, you know, maybe it's time to move on. And, you know, you're not getting any sympathy. Let's put it that way. Like that, <laughs> that angle, you're not, you're not going to succeed on that one, James. Yeah. So. Well, and I could be wrong, but I believe that he's done a, a perfectly fine job managing the New York Rangers. So just like get out, be the guy who owns the Rangers and let somebody else deal with all the Knicks fans. Um, Look, we, this is enough Knicks talk. We need to get to this, to the portion of the podcast I've been waiting for forever. And it's a, <laughs> about a much more functional team, Andrew, a team that's got everything figured out. The Chicago Bulls. There How about that? Yes. Well, Christopher says, what would have to happen in the Bulls locker room for you guys to use the headline situation reaches boiling point. Uh, <laughs> which is some good Gulliver humor to transition to the Gulliver portion of the podcast. So hit me with your favorite Boylan slash uh, psychotic coach emails. Okay, here's what we're going to do, Andrew. I am going to try to summarize these quickly, and you need to say, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, you're going to grade the idea, uh-huh. 10 being best, like he has to implement immediately, 1 being like, okay, you know, it's it's not really right for the Chicago Bulls at this era. And again, we're trying to give Jim Boylan the most possible ways to kind of reach pure Boylan, uh, you know, <laughs> to really leave his mark on the team, okay? Yeah. Nicholas writes, when he was in a third grade co-ed basketball league, there was a pushy ball hogging point guard who always insisted on trying to call her own play. The play was called garbage dump and everybody else just had to run to the corners. This play set her up for a one-on-one isolation basically every time. And the typical result was a turnover, a block shot, or a very bad miss. Now, one to 10 and keep in mind like are they already doing this with zach levine this may have already been implemented but one to ten what do you well think? that was gonna be my takeaway first of all i like the idea of pure boiling being like the final stage of coaching enlightenment um and i don't know i don't know where this ranks i would say three or four i think boylan seems like more of a flex cut guy uh who really wants to run his sets this this um might kind of run against everything he stands for, but it definitely sounds familiar and seems like something they've been doing with Zach Levine. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to go pretty low on the scale for this one. Okay, that's fine. Keep it moving. Jonah says, back in high school, my coach watched Coach Carter, the movie, too many times. (laughs) He made us buy two bricks each, put them in socks, and hold them during our practices. So we would do defensive slides, suicides, and then replicate other teams' defenses while we were holding the bricks. Do you think Boylan is one step away from making the Bulls carry bricks around them with them all day long? What do you think? One to ten, Boylan makes Larry Markinen, Wendell Carter, and all these guys hold bricks during practice. Holy shit. That is a ten. That is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, that's got to be pure Boylan there. 
Particularly because I believe the emailer said, um, did, did the email say the coach made them buy their bricks? Yeah, they had to buy the bricks. Yes. Well, see, that's what takes it from a 9 to a 10 in my book, is I think Boylan making Lowry Marketing actually go to a hardware store and buy some bricks would be absolutely next level, and I hope it happens within yeah. the next couple of weeks. Chris Dunn calls Ace Hardware, campaign calls Ace Hardware. Do you guys have any bricks? And they're like, no, you've already got them. Um, <laughs> oh, more golfer humor, <laughs> loving it. Package deal here from Seth. So you don't have to rate these individually. This is as a package, okay? Okay. His coach said they had to make at least five passes on every uh, possession, including transition. So even if they were going away for breakaway layups, they had to just keep passing the ball to kind of emphasize the teamwork aspect. He also had a coach that made every single person play the same number of minutes, completely equal distribution. Yeah. Boylan, Boylan's flirted with that by taking all five players out and putting five other players in. So he's kind of already gone down that path. For sure. That's in the a pregame, of his. In the pregame layup line, players would have to practice both right and left-handed layups. So, you know, none of these cutesy, like, windmill dunks. We need to see perfectly executed layups. And then the last one would be all five guys must have their hands up on defense at all times or they're immediately taken out of the game. Um, what do you think? Package deal. Oh, man. The the tail end of that is uh, is pretty special because the idea that you are immediately taken out of the game if you don't have your hands up at all times on defense does seem like one of those things, like the a pointless demand that Boylan would issue at the start of a game and then ultimately abandon after they're down like 30 in the middle of the third quarter. I would say all altogether, it's a seven or an eight. <laughs> okay, pretty good. We got a lot more of these. I hope you're not bored yet. Grant says the coach would wrap two by fours with a towel and have us bend over and push them from baseline to baseline, then run to midcourt, grab a ball, and sink a mid-range pull-up. So I guess it, the drill was sort of trying to combine strength with game situations. Not totally sure. Another option was the loose ball drill. I'm sure everybody's had this one where you just launch the ball down the court. Two players from the baseline have to go sprint for it, dive on the ball. Uh, you know, who can wrestle away possession? Yeah. Um, obvi- obviously, that's a, a great way to get injured. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then another one from Grant. If any player made what the coach believed was an excuse, he would immediately point to the door. The player would have to sprint to the locker room and read a banner with a Benjamin Franklin quote. That quote was, I never knew anyone that was good at making excuses that was good at anything else. Then that player would have to run back oh from the locker God. room <laughs> and, re- and recite that quote word for word without error. What do you think? Can Boylan institute a Ben Franklin quote policy? Holy shit. That is as pure Boylan as it gets. Um, the only way it could be better is if that particular Ben Franklin quote was not actually it was apocryphal um but uh, <laughs> it's one of those where like Snopes digs into it it's just completely wrong exactly that's what I'm envisioning uh we'll have to follow up and check on that but I also enjoy the idea of running with two by fours and basically turning basketball into CrossFit out of nowhere that seems like something Boylan would try but I gotta tell you I don't think it's even possible to do better than making your players sprint back to the locker room 
and read a founding father's quote. That is unbelievable, and that anecdote alone justifies this whole stupid segment. It's not stupid because we got a lot more. <laughs> Christian Christian says Jim Boylan needs to sign his own son, regardless of how much basketball experience he has. That is the ultimate rec league coach move. Then start and play the son more minutes than everybody else. Essentially, the Austin Rivers play, but you know, even more pronounced. Uh, whether or not he has a son, maybe he can adopt a son. I, don't, I didn't do the research to determine whether he has a son. Should Jim Boylan sign his own son for the Bulls, regardless of his professional basketball playing ability, one to ten? Um, should he d- ten? <laughs> I don't. I mean, <laughs> Boylan is probably. I think Boylan's in his sixties, and if he has a son, the son could easily be like thirty-five to forty-five. Um, so signing his middle-aged son to come play point guard alongside. Uh, Archie Dinako, um, always going <laughs> to screw up that guy's name. But did you know that Boylan has nicknamed Archie Dinako uh, Buttkiss on the Bulls? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, which is just perfect. So, yes, absolutely. Bring in another Boylan to uh, round out the rotation. Okay, here's one from Jizzly in Iceland. Jizzly says... Their team always dreamed of being able to dunk, but they weren't able to dunk. So they waited for their moment to kind of surprise their coach. So this is not like a coaching technique. This is more of a player's technique. They waited for their moment to get a 2-1-0 fast break. They got it. The first player went down, crouched in the paint, allowing the second player to jump off that guy's back and dunk for the first time in his life. The referee wound up calling traveling on the play the coach benched both players. Everybody was laughing. What do you think? Is this a possibility for the Bulls? Should Boylan be looking at like teammate on teammate helping here uh, in new and creative ways? Because right now, I think their offense is basically dead last in the league during the Jim Boylan era. They need to get creative. Obviously, Zach doesn't need help jumping off people's backs. But could this get like you know? Could this free up Cameron Payne for some more highlight plays? Sure, I, I'm gonna go eight or nine. Not quite pure Boylan, but um, it's definitely something they they should investigate. All right, a couple more stories here real quick. These get pretty wacky. Uh, Grant says, uh, my freshman year of high school, our coach wouldn't let us shoot layups unless we did a full-fledged two-foot jump stop before going up with the ball. We had to sell it with a super long pause after the jump with our butts out, our eyes up, and the whole nine. The whole process took about five times longer than a regular lay-in, but if you shot off just one foot, you were immediately getting pulled from the game. No questions asked. And most of us didn't know any better anyways because we were like 13 and just dreaming about making varsity. So what would happen is we'd get a steal, go down on the fast break, and pull up on the block (laughs) with a... (laughs) With a dramatically unorthodox jump stop, yeah. which would immediately allow the opposing team to catch up and block the shot. They went 500 that year, but by God, we were on balance while attacking the rim. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Andrew? Oh, man. Uh, I love that because, you know, some of the other examples we've had, like Coach Ben Franklin, um, are extreme cases. But I do think that everyone who has ever played basketball growing up has had a coach who makes them do something like that. And, um, I, and so I, I got to say, that is... 10 out of 10 pure Boylan because he did, he does seem like the type of guy who is going to take it back to sixth and seventh grade 
and make you master the fundamentals before you start worrying about dunking or anything else. And um, I love the visual of, of making Zach Levine jump stop on the block. So uh, I hope it happens. Yeah. It's right out of the playbook where like you're making you're teaching guys to dribble with their heads up by like throwing basketballs at their head so that they can duck out of the way because you don't want them looking down at their hands. I remember a coach uh, doing something along those lines. All right, <laughs> one more story, and then we've got one final one, then we're done here. I know this is dragging on long, but this story is also <laughs> incredible from Riley. Riley says his coach had the, an idea to weaponize in some insane crime against nature chimera of basketball innovation his team's strongest attribute, which was grit, and their unique home court, which was a total piece of bleep. Mm -hmm. Now, their basketball court wasn't up to safety code. It was creaky and barely finished like the floor of an old haunted shack. Uh, he said he wouldn't be surprised if someone had gotten a splinter from falling on the court. That's how bad it was. Long story short, the coach had the brilliant idea for his team to try to create turnovers by stomping on the floor as hard as they could while the opposing team was <laughs> dribbling. By stomping on the floor, they could shake the court, causing an otherwise controlled dribble to go astray from the ball handler. Needless to say, the strategy didn't work. We all felt like idiots. And the first quarter we tried this strategy, our opponent scored 35, even though most <laughs> games <laughs> wound up finishing under 100 combined points. The coach did not go away from this strategy until the third quarter, though, at which point he finally stopped yelling at us to stomp harder uh, and told them to stomp as a team, you idiots. What do you think? Should the Bulls try to game the system by, like, screwing their home court up, knowing the own advantages, and trying to, like, wiggle around that direction? What do you think? Yeah, so so we're talking about they sabotage their floor to begin with, right? Like they get some maintenance workers to to screw well, up yeah, the hardwood. I mean, presumably, the United Center isn't a barn. In fact, I know it's not because <laughs> exactly. I've been there. So this would require some pre-planning by Boylan. I don't know if he's like going out there with like butter or grease, you know, putting some slippery spots on the court and then trying to like press guys towards those spots so they fall down, create turnovers. I mean, basically, you're trying to game the gym, right? You're right. trying to get some cheap victories or some cheap points by, you know, messing with the playing surface. What do you think? Zero to ten on the boiling Well, scale. you know, that sounds like something Red Auerbach would have done 40 or 50 years ago. So it's not um, not completely out of the realm of possibility. I am going to give this a ten as pure boiling, <laughs> in part because literally uh, this is another one where I, I had a lot of basketball coaches who would have said that we should do something like this. And uh, and that's part of what's great about playing middle school basketball where nobody has any idea what the hell they're doing. And even the coach is kind of just like throwing shit at the wall. Um, and so, yeah, I could see it happening because that's basically where the bulls are at this point. All right, last one. And we added a bunch of people who suggested different zone defenses, including one guy who actually was playing against Ryan Archidonaccio, or however you pronounce his last name, in youth basketball, and they tried to throw a zone defense on him, which didn't work. So I appreciate all the zone defense uh, you know, suggestions out there. The last one, though, comes from Brendan, who played high school basketball in California, which uh, a state that has a shot clock. But one time they played a team in Oregon, which at the time had no shot clock rule. Uh -huh. they, they won the game 8-2, to two, because the coach had their team hold the ball for the entire quarter before shooting just as the quarter time was expiring. 
Uh, and then after the game, he was lamenting because they had won. He was lamenting how they had to go back to California where there was a shot clock because he wanted to play in the no shot clock version <laughs> <laughs> for all of their games. Um, then Brendan goes, P.S., my coach also got fired my senior year for throwing trash cans at us. So, Andrew, 0 to 10 on the Boylan scale. Unplugging the shot clocks at the United Center <laughs> and or throwing trash cans at the Bulls players. What do you think? Okay, so with this, the shot clock thing has to be a one because I really don't see how that's feasible. <laughs> I think Boylan may want to. He may admire the email from Brendan, but um, I don't think he could actually pull it off in the NBA. The trash can dismissal I mean, that's 10. That's pure boiling. That is a powerful <laughs> metaphor for what's actually happening in Chicago. And uh, I could absolutely see him throwing some inanimate object at um, Lowry Markinen before all this is said and done. Thank you for putting up with all those suggestions. I think your ratings were pretty much spot on. I, d I didn't really want to argue with you on too many of them. I also want to say, though, Andrew, I'm unveiling a new segment mm -hmm. going forward. And this is what it's going to be called, okay? It's called the Lantern. Now, it's that's going to be a reference to one if by land, two if by sea. Everybody remembers that during the Revolutionary War era of how you you got across secret messages across uh, you know wide distances. Because I put up requests for these Boylan strategies on my Instagram story, Andrew. Yeah. And the suggestions just came flooding in immediately, <laughs> like you mentioned earlier. So from now on, once a week, I'm going to put up a lantern on my Instagram story. Follow me on Ben.Golliver, Open Floor Globe members. And I want you to respond to that lantern. It will be a call to action. It will ask you for a suggestion or uh, some sort of a, a take or whatever it might be. It will have the email address so you can just email that take to us. And you can get in on this hot lantern action. What do you think, Andrew? Good idea, right? Um, it is a decent idea. Keep in mind that I am usually the person who has to then sift through all all the lantern responses and try to um, pick the best ones. And then I feel bad because we, we do, even in, in this crop of boiling emails, one of the ones I read was a, uh, I, I believe it was a college baseball player who said that he was practicing outside in the middle of winter and the coach decided that the players weren't handling the cold well enough, so the next day he made them all practice shirtless. Um, <laughs> so, which, pure boiling, 10 out of 10 right there. Um, so we do get a lot of really deserving emails, and I feel bad when they don't get included. But yes, I love the lantern suggestion, and, um, and I will say that Ben was particularly hardened by the response to the Boylan stuff on Instagram, and you responded by um, sincerely telling me slash demanding that I begin using Instagram more in 2019, and uh, I will try, I'll try to get there, okay? Ooh, you're going to come back from vacation and hop into the stories. I love it. Maybe you can actually, you know, do some gramming live from your trip, Andrew. I'd like to go along with you. I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, know. I'll take you out of the camel with me. Um, I do have a question, though. Did you have any particular memories from your youth of, like, crazy coaches? No, I mentioned the one earlier about, like, you know, trying to teach you to, to keep your head up while you dribble by, like, throwing things at you, like, whizzing it past your head, and you have to kind of, like, duck when that happens. I mean, a lot of these other ones were relatable, like the junk zone defenses that people sent in, you know, the triangles and twos, the one, three woods. Um, that, that was the main thing. I mean, I, I had pretty good coaches for the most part. Um, how about you? 
I did have one. I was thinking about it this afternoon. Um, it wasn't a basketball coach, but it was a football coach. And I was about, I think I might have been in eighth grade. Um, I was either in seventh or eighth grade. And um, did you ever play football, Ben? No. And I I really look down my nose at anyone who allows their children to play football. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny because you mentioned it earlier that like there's PTSD from some of this stuff. And I don't know if I have PTSD, but I did sort of have to like develop a sense of humor because I was um, a 5'7", 150-pound offensive guard. And um, oh, perfect! <laughs> yeah, it was it was really rough. I was resentful of the coaching staff to begin with because I thought I should be either a running back or a wide receiver, or at least I would be allowed to return punts. And none of that happened, and I was just an offensive guard. Which, by the way, offensive linemen have a pretty tough job, also because they have to like know all the blocking assignments and the different gaps you're supposed to block and so i remember being like 13 years old being like this is bullshit i should be able to do a Deion sanders impersonation and be the punt returner but it didn't work out that way yeah you're built like a slot receiver you're not an <laughs> offensive lineman <laughs> exactly exactly i'm not very fast i think that was the problem but um but anyways, so the memory that, that came to the surface this afternoon because of all this boiling stuff was um, there was one practice midway through the season that was like a, a Saturday practice that I believe was made optional by the coaching staff. So instead of like, I think we had 35 or 40 guys on the team, um, we had like 17 or 18 guys show up and um there's a drill called the oklahoma drill are you familiar with that oh yeah that's like the manhood challenge basically right it was and you know i think literally speaking i had not hit puberty at this time in my life so i was going up against our starting linebacker whose dad was also sitting there watching the practice and our coach was because we didn't have enough um we didn't have enough players there to put to do like starter versus starter so i was just like backup pipsqueak offensive guard going against this linebacker and um i remember even before the drill started being like this is not gonna end well for me this is a bad idea and then i went in there got immediately flattened and was like all right well i'm not dead like that's that's okay this is a win <laughs> this is a win in the grand scheme of things and then um, sharp <laughs> get back up do it again exactly the coach was sitting there and was like i was like ready to go to the back of the line just keep on living my life and the coach was like come on sharp are you kidding me that's not good enough run it again and so then i have to pick my head up and get back there and run it again get my ass kicked all over again. And the coach again is like, come on, Sharp. You can do better than that. Run it again. And in my head, I'm like, coach, like I can't do better than this. Like, Just let me return punts. Let me do my thing. I'm not an offensive tackle. Um, and so we had to do that for like six or seven times with me getting humiliated in front of the coach and his this kid's dad. And it just did not go well. And so that is my scarring uh, youth sports experience. 
I'm I'm just sorry. I'm speechless. Now I feel bad. I take back all the snarky <laughs> no. things I was saying about you early on this episode. I I will pledge to be nicer to you in 2019. Like, tell me what else I can do to make this right, Andrew, because this is but awful. But see, here's the thing. I do think that there is some value in going through that ridiculous shit when you're like a teenager because it does force you to kind of develop uh, coping mechanisms, learn to laugh at yourself, and just kind of roll with everything. And that was my ultimate takeaway. I remember kind of like leaving football practice and being like, well, this sport is not for me, <laughs> which was eventually the correct conclusion to draw from all of that. You're better off for it, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, you're better off for it. You know, I, I don't I don't really see any warning signs of CTC or whatever they call that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just just be glad you got that out of your system quickly and you moved on to a much brighter yeah, life. Yeah, moved on to a basketball obsession for the next 20 years of my life. Um, but one more email, Ben. I've enjoyed this as our kind of year-end podcast. And uh, I did want to read this from Zarif, who had an email following up um, one of our podcasts last, last week. He says, Hello, Andrew and Ben. I just finished listening to the podcast where you guys discussed an American basketball academy and Ben joked about recruiting players as young as possible. At that point... <laughs> I didn't joke about yeah, it, though. I was serious. He was, <laughs> I'm serious. He was dead serious and thinks we need to do it to keep pace with China. Um, and then he says, at that point, Andrew said something about recruiting them through ultrasounds. And I just have to say... Being from Australia and wishing that basketball would become bigger and better here, I think I will personally begin recruiting potential Aussie Academy players straight from the womb. As a sonographer, an ultrasound, an ultrasound technician, we take a lot of measurements of babies inside the womb to keep track of growth milestones, etc. Every now and then I measure a baby with, long, with a long-as-hell, humorous bone, and I always say to the parents, you know, there's a lot of money in basketball. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> At that point, I'm hoping that I've convinced the parents to foster that child into a future Luke Longley, Matthew Dellavedova, or perhaps even Ben Simmons. When Aussies with huge wingspans are one day dominating the NBA... Just know that this Open Floor Globe member was directly responsible. Man. I mean, Ben. Legendary, <laughs> legendary email from Zarif. This is what I'm talking about, Andrew. We have a lot of influence. I like to joke that we influence the influencers. I mean, this guy, if he ever gets together with like a gene splicing technician, we're going to all be in trouble. I mean, we're going to be building like mammoth human babies to like take over the NBA, and it's all going to be from a, a silly podcast idea. I'm terrified. I'm also wildly excited. Yes, I'm. I'm both proud and terrified that we have we have created a community where people like Zarif can come and share their experience with ultrasound scouting. Um, but as we, oh, here's the best part though, because we're so big in Australia. We're going to have one contingent of our Open Floor Globe listeners sitting there just horrified by the idea that their ultrasound guy might be Zarif, who is like <laughs> doing these things. But we're going to have another contingent, Andrew, who's going to be like, we need to go to exactly. Zarif. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go find Zarif. That's the guy I want. 
working this. Um, no, it's it's all just completely incredible. And uh, seriously, this is my last podcast of 2018. And I want to thank everyone for listening all year, for writing in. Uh, I think I speak for Ben as well when I say I never expected this to be as fun as it has been. And um, and I love it. So there's a weird sentimental note to sign off on. But uh, I, I, that was my sincere takeaway from Zarif's email was just like, this shit is incredible. And I, lo- I love the open floor globe. Okay, Andrew, go get a Kleenex, you know, dab your eyes, pull yourself <laughs> together. I got like three minutes of plugs we got to do here to close the podcast, all right? Good. But no, I appreciate the emotional journey here that you've been on. I mean, from the horribly scarring, you know, middle school experiences now to, you know, Look um, at me an now, amazing you know? speech. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Communicating it's with sonographers of the world. I will be back next week for the last closeout episode of the year. Uh, with a special guest, like I mentioned earlier. So, guys, you know, don't skip us. Uh, don't skip Open Floor during the holidays. You know, check out what we have to say next week. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com for all your comments, questions, concerns, boiling reactions, uh, thunder defenses, whatever it might be. Send those in. Don't forget, the lantern is going to go up on my Instagram story sometime during the next week. Look for that topic and be sure to chime in as well. I love hearing from people uh, directly on that. And, Andrew, one thing we didn't mention, I heard from at least 10 people congratulating you for getting signed by the Washington Wizards. <laughs> uh, you know, Ron Baker, a.k.a. Andrew Sharp, uh, is the latest uh, addition to Ernie Grunfeld's super team. So congratulations there as well, Andrew. And uh, every single person who sent me something about that, uh, you made me laugh. Also, check us out, Apple Podcasts. Search for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. uh, Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. We are the Postmates of Podcasts. And Andrew, you could never forget, we are also on the world-famous radio.com slash open floor. Check us out there, too. Until next year, Andrew, I will talk to you. There you go, man. Talk to you soon. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.